everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back. Uh, I know it's been a little bit since we put out a podcast, and I do apologize for that. I actually um, <laughs> had a bunch of different things fall through that were lined up, and I've been traveling so darn much that I haven't had a lot of windows to do things, and when things fell through, I, I didn't have a lot of backup. Uh, I also lost my voice, uh, literally like couldn't talk for a, a couple of days. And um, so I apologize. I know it's been a while. Uh, it's nice to be back. I feel guilty because I'm starting off this uh, particular podcast uh, with a request. And I, I was hoping to have a couple you know, things I could give you before I came back and made a request of you. But nonetheless, this is where we're at. This is our fundraising week here at Strong Towns. Uh, we, uh, once a year go what we call national public radio on you, where we ask you to join us to become a member of strong towns. Uh, we don't do this all the time. We don't sit and beg for money, but we are a nonprofit organization. Uh, the stuff that we do, uh, we do basically by the funding that, uh, you give us. And, uh, we've been, you know, very fortunate to have some generous people that have stepped up some uh, great foundations, the Blandon Foundation, the Bush Foundation here in Minnesota, the Bremer Foundation as well, uh, have uh, helped us and supported us. Uh, but those supports actually are, are ending. They were kind of like initial kickoff. And now we're at the point where we really need to rely on our members. Uh, we have set up a membership platform. It is at membership.strongtowns.org. I'll give you that website a couple more times. You can go to our web page at strongtowns.org and there's a little button right there to become a member. Uh, we are really focusing hard on membership this year for a, a couple of very important reasons. First, not only are we kind of being, uh, I won't say weaned off of the foundation funding, but but we're in that transition period. You know, The foundations uh, stepped up and supported us in our kind of initial days. And uh, that was incredibly helpful for us, but we are looking at over the next year kind of transitioning out of that and needing to become a member-supported organization. And so having our members now actually step up and help us is, is not only going to help us stay in business, but help us with the second part, which is we really want to do more. Uh, this organization has really since its inception been me uh, with some other volunteers and some other people helping out. Uh, this last June, Jim Kuman joined us as executive director. And I have to tell you, when Jim started, uh, I said, Jim, you know, I, I don't have any money. I, I can't pay you. <laughs> and he said, Chuck, uh, don't worry. Uh, I'll figure out and, and make my own paycheck. And, you know, his kind of leap of faith was the same as my leap of faith three years ago when I walked away from an engineering planning job and started doing this. Uh, it was a belief in what we're doing and a belief that if we do good work, uh, good things will happen from that. And so we really are at, at a point right now where we are ready uh, to not only engage you more deeply, but support you more in your day-to-day -day operations. Uh, you know, when it was just me, I'm writing the blog, I'm doing the podcast, I'm doing videos, uh, I'm running all our social media stuff, I'm running around the country doing curbside chats. Having Jim on board gives us an enormous capacity uh, to be able to turn around to you, the people out there trying to uh, work to make your place a strong town, and say, 
what can we do to help you? Uh, what is it that we can put together? Uh, what kind of materials? Uh, what kind of content? Uh, what kind of support can we do that would make your job easier? And our focus over the last six months has been to set up a platform that's going to allow us to do that and put systems into place that are going to allow us to have that deeper conversation with you to really support what you're doing. And we're at the point now where what we need is we need you to sign up. We need you to go to the website at membership.strongtowns.org, sign up. Our base membership is just $25 a year. It is not much money uh, to help us. Uh, we do have higher levels of membership that are going to be essentially more intimate uh, as you go. But uh, if 25 bucks is, is all you can do right now, then we would love to have you. And we would love to have you be part of the Strong Towns movement and part of what we're doing. Uh, 2014 is all about kind of breaking out and really becoming an organization that not only talks a good talk, uh, but actually mobilizes and helps people mobilize themselves and, uh, and their friends and their neighbors and their colleagues uh, to build strong towns. So go to the website, help us do that. Uh, and I'm going to give you the podcast here. It's a late, late night on Sunday night, but I, I couldn't go to bed tonight without uh, putting this together for you before I take off this week from Mississippi. So thank you, everybody, for everything you do, and uh, keep doing what you can to build strong towns, including going to strong or membership.strongtowns.org and, uh, and joining us formally. We would really deeply appreciate it. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Don't be stupid. Uh, last week, uh, I was in Wisconsin, and I had the opportunity to uh, lecture to a group l largely comprised of engineering students, traffic engineers, civil engineers, undergrads and graduate students. And I started off the conversation by telling them, don't be stupid. Now, I don't think these people are stupid. And as you're going to hear as we go along here, I, I, I don't think engineers are stupid. But for some reason, we, and, and let me just reiterate that I am myself a professional engineer. I have an undergraduate degree in civil engineering and worked for half a dozen years doing engineering projects here in Minnesota. Municipal type stuff. Uh, I worked for the DOT during, uh, during my undergraduate work, and so I have a little bit of experience there, although I, I won't claim to be uh, a highway engineer by any degree. Uh, but my, my, my advice to these students was, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. When we were driving, this past week, we were in uh, Wisconsin for three days. Uh, spent some time in Madison, uh, met with the staff there in the city of Madison, and then did a curbside chat uh, in Madison on Wednesday night. Drove to Milwaukee and uh, had, had a couple meetings in Madison on Thursday morning and then drove to Milwaukee and did a curbside chat there Thursday evening. That was a blast. When we got done, we kind of got kicked out of the classroom. So we went down to the lounge, like the student lounge, sat around on some couches, which was really nice on my uh, my back with a broken rib. Um, 
sat around and chatted for a while on these couches and just had a wonderful conversation. Uh, then uh, Friday got up and drove to uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison and did this lecture. On the way there, uh, we're driving along Interstate 94, headed west, and I said to Jim, Jim Kuman, our executive director, was actually driving. I was doing email and social media and trying to kind of catch up on things on the road. I looked over at Jim and I said, dude, I really could use a diet do. <laughs> could you um, find us a gas station and uh, I just got to get myself a pop, all right? So he pulls off and, and I got my head buried on my computer and he's like, Chuck, you got to see this. And uh, I look up and we're driving into one of these monster roundabouts, right? The, uh, the, the highway scaled roundabout, uh, the ones with the kind of double lanes, the big, you know, bulky landscaped kind of mound in the middle, uh, all of the pedestrian facilities around it, uh, the, all the, the fancy lighting, all the decorative, you know, um, sidewalk, the, the like, uh, fancy medians and all that stuff. Incidentally, the gas station was right there. It was right on the side of this uh, roundabout. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this thing just going, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm looking at. And so we got out, uh, we pulled in the gas station, got out, and then walked over to this roundabout. Uh, about this time, a farm implement, I, I, you know, I grew up on a farm. We had plows, we had uh, balers, we had manure spreaders we had all this stuff but whatever this farm implement was i didn't i don't know what it was it it looked like the kind of thing that you would pick up hay bales with uh anyway one of these comes like coming through this this roundabout and it you know it 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 was funny because it was like the only thing there you know there was there was no other traffic in this roundabout and it was very clear why we were in the middle of nowhere uh on one side of this was this podunk little gas station uh, the one other corner had what looked kind of like a park and ride, uh, although I didn't see any ride. I just saw a, a parking lot with maybe 20 or so cars in it and a big gully. The other two sides were literally cornfields. I mean, there was nothing, nothing there, nothing there at all, and no signs that there would be anything there. Um, now, I love roundabouts. Uh, we, we kind of had a joke here because we had a county commissioner here in my hometown uh, who made some massively ignorant statement when we were putting in a roundabout, something along the lines of, you know, didn't we fight a world war uh, so that we wouldn't have to do European things like this? Which, you know, is stupid on so many levels. <laughs> you know, most of Europe were our allies uh, in World War II. Um, ugh, just what an idiot. Anyway, roundabouts are... If you're not building roundabouts, you, you don't get what's going on. I mean, the idea that you would prefer to sit at a traffic signal uh, as opposed to go through this very low-cost, very efficient uh, way of channeling traffic uh, is just mind-boggling to me. I, I don't know why you would pay more for lower quality. Uh, but, you know, we seem to want to do that at times here in America. Nonetheless, I'm a real big supporter of roundabouts. I think roundabouts are fantastic. Let me also make another clarification. Uh, I think diverging diamonds are fantastic. Uh, I did a piece a couple years ago 
on a diverging diamond in Springfield, Illinois. And it, some people left that with the impression that I don't like the diverging diamond. I love the diverging diamond. I think the diverging diamond is brilliant. You have essentially the same amount of infrastructure, but you tweak it to get vastly more capacity out of it. That is a brilliant, brilliant engineering move. Okay. What I don't like and what I didn't like about that diverging diamond and what I don't like about this roundabout in the middle of nowhere is how we act stupidly about them. Now, let me set this up so that you can, you can get the visual picture here. And I'm going to set it up with this. Uh, we have a plethora around here in Minnesota, and I've seen them all over the country, of intersections along highways that have traffic signals. So you're driving along on the highway and you hit an intersection with a traffic signal and you stop there. And it's four lane wide, four, you know, four lanes wide. Each, each direction has turn lanes both ways. So literally you've got like eight lanes to go across. This is a massively huge place. And for the most part, there's no like pedestrian facilities anywhere around. There's no sidewalks coming up. There's no trails. In fact, this one on my way home is just hilarious because there's literally a swamp on three sides of it. And on the fourth side is just a big ditch to an auto dealership that was built in a swamp, but they filled it up. So there's nobody walking anywhere around here. And there's no chance that anyone will ever be walking anywhere around there. But... When you look at what the DOT has built, the DOT, according to their standard plate, has not only put in the signal, but has put in along the edge of the signal sidewalks and a little, you know, handicap accessible ramp with the vision impaired little things along the, you know, bumps and ridges on the side of it. As if there's any possible chance that someone, not only a pedestrian, but a vision impaired, someone in a wheelchair uh, would come, you know, from this swamp out onto the highway. And you look at this and, and I, I realize it's not a huge sum of money, um, but you're talking about $10,000, $20,000 additional per intersection where we build these things with, with, with no expectation that there will ever be a pedestrian anywhere near this and no reasonable sense that there that it would ever exist anywhere around here. It is an annoyance to me. And I realize that we're not going to change the world by, you know, stopping this stupid practice. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, we continue on. Now, let's go to our stupid roundabout, okay? So we get off Highway 94 and we exit and we find ourselves in this roundabout. We get out, we go walk up to it. And I'm looking at this. And I'm looking at not only do they have the pedestrian, you know, ramps at each place. Now, understand, with a roundabout, you, you don't have one at all four corners like a signal. You actually have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of these handicap accessible ramps with the vision impaired uh, stuff at the, at the bottom of it, right? And they've done it. They've done it like decked out here. They've done it with the decorative brick. It's got the, you know, the red decorative brick, the fancy coloring, all that. But then you've got sidewalks that run and paths that run in between them all. So now around the outside of this roundabout, you essentially could not only do the roundabout in a car, but you could get out of your car and do like a roundabout in a, in a bike or a wheelchair, or you could just walk around it. Then along each you know, spoke coming in. So you've got the four, four roads coming in uh, to this roundabout. Uh, 
they have the trail or the sidewalk that runs back like 200 feet, right? And then it ends. It just stops. It stops like on the edge of this cornfield. Uh, you know, was a couple of them went, only went back 50 feet, but a couple went back like 200 feet. And then it just ends. Like that, that's the end, right? There's no businesses down there. There's no houses down there. There's no people down there. There's nothing to walk to or from. You literally can't get onto it unless you kind of levitated over this ditch in this cornfield and then wound up like landing on it. Uh, but it's there. It's all sitting right there. Now, is Chuck Marone against pedestrian facilities? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh you know, is strong towns think that roundabouts are bad? Absolutely not. But we have to actually do some engineering. We actually have to sit back and say, okay, what are we building and where are we building it? And who are we building this for? Understand what has happened here. What has happened here is the roundabout has become what in the engineering parlance is known as a standard plate, right? There, somewhere, some technician, uh, engineer sat down and they created the standard plate of roundabouts. This is how we at the DOT build roundabouts, the same way that we at the DOT build, uh, you know, build signalized intersections. And this is the way it should be done. And so if you're building a roundabout, you don't actually take the time to look at it or study it or you know try to understand what's going on. You just go grab the standard plate, you lay that down on the site, and then you just you know make everything work, go out for bids and build it, right? That's exactly what's going on. And it's funny because yeah, I can see, I can totally see like how this came about. You have probably, you know, the complete streets advocates who are saying, you know, we need to build more roundabouts. They're safer for pedestrians. They're safer for bikes. Uh, you, when you build a roundabout, let's work on that standard plate so that we get all the pedestrian facilities nice. And let's make sure we put nice red decorative brick. And let's make sure we do, you know, beautify and really landscape that center part of the roundabout so that it's really nice and high quality and it looks great. Let's make sure we have decorative lighting all the way around it so that it really pops and it says, you know, we care about pedestrians and we care about bikers. And so they probably took, you know, in the confines of their bureaucracy, they took the time and the effort to sit down and figure out exactly how you would make this standard plate work. Here it is. Beautiful. They probably gave out some awards to themselves or something for this wonderful uh, roundabout type of intersection. But it's the wrong place. It's the wrong place. Now, let me point out a couple of things that need to be different here. Do we need to build roundabouts? Yes. We need to build roundabouts in this location and we need to build them in cities as well. But when we get into cities, uh, that's where we got to spend the money, right? You, I, I just it makes me want to cry because they probably spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on all of this pedestrian facilities that literally will never get used. Uh, if you had five pedestrians a year who like leave the gas station and walk their dog around this roundabout, you know that would amaze me. That that would be like a high traffic volume here. But you look at how much money we spent to get it, and it's just obscene. Why wouldn't we spend that money somewhere else? Why wouldn't we spend that money actually in urban areas 
where, you know, the DOTs come in and they say, you know what, we'd love to do all these pedestrian facilities. We'd love to do all this stuff, but we don't have any money. We're totally broke. We don't have the resources to be able to do the stuff that would make this actually a nice project. You know, if the local city helped out, maybe we could do something, but we don't have the money to do it. How many times have we heard that over and over and over? Because they're throwing money away on these stupid projects where they're literally not doing any engineering. And this is my second point. And this is something, you know, uh, kind of not just that you'll find at the DOT, but that you find in the engineering profession in general. And this is kind of the, the thrust of my don't be stupid argument uh, to these students. Look, why do we go into engineering? We don't go into engineering so we can apply standard plates. We don't go into engineering so that we can look up in a code book of standards and say, what standard applies here? I mean, if you want to do that, just go be a technician, you know? I mean, no no, uh, no slam on technicians there. I, <laughs> lots of technicians saved my butt uh, when I was in the early engineering days. These guys are generally very brilliant people. But nonetheless, the difference between being a technician and being an engineer is a technician takes standards and applies them. And an engineer actually does, wait for it, engineering, right? An engineer actually sits and says, what would be the optimum solution at this particular place? And ideally, I mean, th this is me, maybe in my naive uh, view of the world, but ideally when the engineer sits down to do something, the engineer is actually trying to you know, design something that optimizes the value for the client. In the case of the DOT, who's the client? Well, <laughs> uh, the client may be the politician or you know, a lot of the people in the DOT think the client is themselves. Uh, but you know, I think the, the average observer would say, well, the client is us, right? It's the taxpayer. It's the general population. And so the DOT, the role of an engineer in the DOT is to get an optimum outcome for the least amount of money, right? We try to optimize uh, the outcome for the amount of money that we're going to spend. And the value of an engineer is justified because if you're going to engineer a project, if you're going to actually come forth and say, I'm going to hire an engineer to do this, or I'm going to expect that an engineer would do this, the idea is that the engineer is going to look at it and pay for their salary many times over by doing things that are optimum, right? Putting decorative red brick, fancy decorative lights, and hundreds of thousands of dollars of concrete in the middle of a cornfield because that's what the standard plate calls is not optimum. It's actually stupid. And anybody sitting back and looking at this is going to say, yeah, that's stupid. That's really dumb. Why would we do that? You look at that ridiculous diverging diamond that I wrote about a couple years ago. And my problem was never with the engineering of the diverging diamond. I mean, the diverging diamond is brilliant. Build it. It's fantastic. Why do we spend another half a million dollars building these ridiculous pedestrian facilities that are never going to be used by anyone? And, you know, it, it, okay, if you want to have a bare minimum accommodation for pedestrians out literally along an interstate highway, you know, this was the intersection of a highway and an interstate highway where you had ditches uh, along all sides. You had these huge big box stores. You were never going to get a volume of pedestrians through there. 
why have fancy decorative red brick? Why go to all this length to gussy it up and make it kind of appear pretty when you're driving by when it's just a functional facility? That's the problem that I've got. We're not doing a good job. We're not doing a service to the people that we're supposed to be working for as engineers. Where should this money go? Now, in the last month, I've actually run into half a dozen different cities where the DOT has either coming through town or has just recently come through town and said things like, well, we've got level of service problems here. We've got traffic volume issues here. Uh, we got to build our standard section. And sure, we you know could consider possibly doing something for pedestrians, but we don't have a lot of money. Um, you know, we're sorry that it's your main street through town. Uh, not really, but we kind of are. And, uh, you know, if you want to pay, uh, we maybe will put in a little bit so that you can get a, a, an overpass ramp or something like that, or you can get a, um, you know, a, a, some type of wider sidewalk or what have you. But, uh, you know, nothing too much, nothing that would potentially get in the way of the traffic or slow anything down. But if you want to pay a little bit, we can make that happen. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because we're throwing money away uh, out on the edge of the city. We're throwing money away out on the edge of the city, building ridiculous, stupid things like this roundabout, right? That roundabout could just be a plain roundabout. I mean, literally, it could be a circle on the pavement that you drive around, and it would be incredibly functional. And that money could be diverted to other areas uh, where we actually will get a return on that investment, where we could actually build an environment that would be conducive to people, where people would need to be in. For that to happen, the DOT needs to start thinking about things in a slightly different way, however. And this is kind of the last major point that I want to make, and it's really an important one. Uh, in the curbside chat, I, I started, I, I took a, this risk once, and after I did it, I realized, you know, this isn't really a risk at all because I understand how people look at this. Here's the risk that I did. Um, I present what the engineering profession's values are for building streets. Now, I'm not talking about highways. I'm not talking about the, you know, the road connections between places. I'm talking about streets within a place. You know, you get to town. It's the main street through the middle of town. It also happens to be the state highway. Here's the values that the engineering profession is applying to that highway. What are they? Number one is design speed. Number two is design volume. Once you have a design speed, you know, we always start out with what's the design speed for this section and then what's the volume of traffic that we're going to handle. Once we have those two variables down, then the third question becomes, okay, how do we build the safest bit of infrastructure possible? And then what is the cost to do that? Okay. We have those four variables. Uh, you've got design speed, volume, safety, and then cost. Here's the leap of faith I took. I asked the audience, what is yours? What is your number one, uh, you know, what is your number one priority of those four? And the leap of faith was, of course, I couldn't make up my PowerPoint as we went along. I had to actually anticipate what they were. And so I sat and I listened to the crowd. And of course, out of those four variables, speed, volume, safety, cost, which is the most important? Safety. And the whole crowd says, Chuck, safety. And bam, I click it. And there it is. 
And everybody knows that that is the most important value. What's the second most important? Speed, volume, or cost? Well, <laughs> audiences always say the same thing. They say cost. We want a safe road, and we don't want to, you know, we, we want you to be prudent with our money. Then we ask the question, okay, if you can move cars fast, or if you can move a lot of cars at once, which would be most important? And people say, well, we'd rather move a lot of cars than have them move fast. So volume. And then that leaves the last value of speed. Understand what we have done. The engineering profession's values, speed, volume, safety, cost, in that order, are completely inverse to society's values for those same uh, places. Not completely inverse, but essentially inverse. We value safety first, then cost, then volume, and last is speed. We would sacrifice speed, in other words, and sacrifice volume of traffic in order to have a road that we can afford that is safe. We would have safety over everything else, over everything else, over getting there quickly, over uh, handling a lot of cars, having congestion. We want the road to be safe beyond anything. When you're in an urban area, what does that mean? That means we have to look differently at the places that we build. We can't start with a design speed. We can't start with a design volume. We have to actually start with safety. And not just safety for cars, not just safety for cars driving at speed, but safety for the complex array of different things, different activities that are going on in those urban areas. We have to make sure that uh, pedestrians can get around, people in wheelchairs can get around, people on bikes can get around, that the kid who's playing you know, kickball and uh, their ball goes out in the street and they run out there is not going to get run over and killed. We have to actually anticipate that these are going to be complex environments. And because of that, the traffic has to be slow. If we want safe places, the traffic has to be slow. Now, let me tie these two things together. Because on the edge of the city, now, out here in the middle of nowhere along a highway, you have stupid. You have us wasting and blowing money to no end uh, because we have a standard plate that tells us this is what we should do when we reach this. We're not doing engineering. Uh, we're just applying standards. Then when we get into the city, uh, we do the same thing. We just apply standards. But we're applying the highway standards, right? We need to inverse that. And the thing that we need to introduce this whole equation is actually something called engineering. We actually need to engineer our places to get the results we're looking for. So out on the edge of the city, where we're all about moving traffic and where it's the middle of a cornfield and we're not anticipating any pedestrians at all unless you're counting deer. We're not planning on any of them being out there. We actually need to engineer that to handle the automobile traffic very efficiently and very cheaply, right? Right? That's what we need to do. And when we get into the city, we have to actually engineer this to be safe for pedestrians, for bikers, uh, for people in wheelchairs, for cars that are driving through, for cars that are turning, for cars that are parking. We need to engineer it to be safe in that environment.
That is a different approach than we do now. That is a different approach than just applying standards. Applying standard plates, applying standard codes, applying standard approaches. That is actually the art of engineering. And when I tell these students, don't be stupid, what I'm telling them to do is actually to engineer, to use the brain that you know, the university is filling full of ideas and full of new thoughts and full of new things. And they get out of these institutions and they're full of, you know, all the great things that they can do in the world and how they're going to build these wonderful places that are going to help people and make their lives better. And they get out and we dumb them down with this is the way we do things. This is the standard. This is the approach you have to take. This is the plate that you use in this situation. And if we don't resist it, if we don't insist on using our brains, we very quickly become part of a machine just doing stupid things. Now, I don't think engineers are stupid. In fact, I've said it many times, but I'll say it again here. I have never met and gotten to know, you know, I've, I've never met personally an engineer that I did not find to be a thoughtful, uh, moral upstanding person who wanted to do the right thing and believed in their heart that they were doing the right thing. This is not a profession of people who are out, uh, you know, taking bribes, uh, doing dicey things because uh, it's going to get them a quick buck. Uh, you know, I generally believe that this is a profession full of good, hardworking people who believe they're doing the best for society but they do a lot of stupid things. And they do a lot of stupid things because they're literally kind of scared and cowed to actually be engineers. We've gotta be engineers. We have to do engineering. We gotta stop being stupid. Because quite frankly, we're going broke. I mean, I, I hear the Wisconsin DOT being literally billions of dollars behind in maintenance. Uh, needing all kinds of money to do, you know, what uh, their project list is just a ridiculous bunch of projects. But if you look here in Minnesota, you know, our our transportation commissioner, Charlie Zelli, is going around on the hat in hand tour, basically saying we need more money for all these things. And I'm looking around going, but we're doing stupid things. I mean, I realize you need more money. I realize you can't keep doing what you're doing on the funds that you have. You're literally broke. You need more money, but don't you need to also do things differently? I think as engineers that we can make a case, a good case, that uh, we need more money to do good transportation systems. But I think we can only do that case, make that case, when we commit ourselves to actually being engineers, to actually doing engineering, to actually stopping the practices of being stupid, and to commit ourselves to not only use our brains and use the intellect that we have that has allowed us to get an engineering degree and work in this profession and do complex things, but commit ourselves to projects that create optimum outcomes that actually add value to communities, that actually do more than just move traffic, that actually go in more than one dimension. This is what's missing. And when I see a project like this ridiculous roundabout in Wisconsin, 
uh, I just shake my head and I say, I'm not going to give you guys any more money. I'm not going to vote for anyone who increases the gas tax or anyone who wants to spend more on this system. The only way I'm willing to add more to this pie is if we stop being stupid. I have a lot of faith in the young people. I have a lot of faith in these young students. When I looked in their eyes, they got it. They understood. Um, if you don't get it, if you're listening to this and you know this isn't making sense to you, get out of the way. Get out of the way and let this new generation of leaders come in. Because there's a lot of people that see what's wrong. There's a lot of people that understand this and there's a lot of people that want to do things differently. If you're one of those people who wants to do things differently and there's other people in your way stopping you from doing it, I'm telling you, use your brain. Put it out there. Say it. I don't want to be stupid. This is dumb. We can't do dumb things anymore. We don't have the money to be dumb. We're broke. We have to act intelligently. We actually have to engineer. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, sorry it took me a while to get uh, get back to you with a fresh podcast. Hope it was worth the wait. Uh, don't forget to go to our membership site and sign up, membership.strongtowns.org. We're really counting on you. And uh, keep doing what you can to build Strong Towns. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah. What do you mean by expanding the clear zone? We will be removing obstacles from the clear zone to improve safety. What is the clear zone? It is the area on each side of the street that we need to keep clear of obstacles in case cars go off the road. What kind of obstacles? Mostly trees. So you are going to remove the trees from the clear zone to improve safety? Yes. Exactly. How big is the clear zone? The clear zone is 25 feet on each side of the street. 25 feet. That is my entire front yard. I'm sorry, but the standard requires that, for the road to be safe, all obstacles must be removed from the clear zone. Do you understand that my children play in this clear zone? I would not recommend that. It would not be safe. But it is safe today. I thought you were doing this project to improve safety. How is the street more safe if my children can't go outside? Building the street to meet the standard will enhance safety by allowing cars to flow more smoothly. 
more smoothly. The cars will just drive faster, will they not? We will post a speed limit after we do a speed study and determine the safe speed for the street. But cars drive slow now. Slow is the safe speed through my neighborhood, where my children are playing in my yard. How does it improve safety to have a drag strip out my front door? It will increase safety because traffic will flow more smoothly. That is the standard.